0: All views expressed on the Open Work Partnership graduate podcast are personal, and nothing within it should be construed as advice or a recommendation.
1: Hello and welcome to the Open Work Partnership graduate podcast. My name is Neda Darbani and I will be hosting the podcast today. In this episode, we will be discussing diversity and inclusion in the financial services industry, which has been a key topic of conversation in recent years. We will look to touch on the experiences our guests have had and whether or not enough has changed in the industry to allow for diversity and inclusion in financial services. With us today, we have our usual guest, Adam Chopdat, along with some very special guests, Sarah Mason, our Inclusion and Engagement Manager here at the Open Work Partnership, Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, one of our industry bodies who focus on the diversity and inclusion discussion, and Robin Allen, Director and Financial Advisor of Robin Allen Solutions. All of our guests have shown an active interest in promoting diversity and inclusion in the industry. And to get this podcast started, it'll be interesting to hear from you, Sarah. What does diversity and inclusion mean to you?
2: Right. So uh, for me, diversity, inclusion and well-being uh, mean, if you like, that holistic approach to how we how we are. So it's it's about our culture. So we're very passionate about our our new strategy. And hopefully, everyone will soon have seen our new fab infographic, which explains all of our big six targets. But it's much more than that. It's it's making sure. So when we talk about unconscious bias, sometimes, I think we also need to talk about conscious inclusion. Because I think sometimes what we need to do is make sure that when we are thinking, it's not just, oh, am I saying or doing the right thing? It's, Am I really striving to make sure that everybody who is at the Open Work Partnership now feels included and valued to bring their best selves? But also, how do we retain? How do we get new people to want to join us? In a a society now where people look at the CSR policy and the diversity and inclusion policy as part of the reason they might want to join somewhere, I think it gets more and more important to make sure we're inclusive and open, So I think it's it's not a nice to have anymore. Our regulator is uh, looking at this, doing a white paper on this at the moment. So we know that it's something that in the future is going to be um, really far more at the top of everybody's agenda. There's a sound business reason for having this as well as um, a sound cultural reason.
1: Okay, that's really insightful. And just um building on that, Liz, what are your views on diversity and inclusion in the financial services industry? And is there anything in particular that PIMFOR are doing in line with this?
3: Um so what are my views on uh i in the industry? I think we've made a a fair bit of progress. Um I mean I've been I've been in the industry for over 30 years now. Um and uh, i've been involved in and have led dni initiatives um probably for most of that period on on and off um i'll 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 mention four just to show where how much we've really changed in the industry um so one of the first ones that i did was i was the industry champion um f- which was to develop and implement apprenticeships and this was 30 years ago Um, in the insurance industry Um, and at the time it was a real hard slog to try and get um, employers um, interested in apprenticeships because it was seen as a a second class um, qualification to the professional qualifications that we needed uh, in our industry Um, and so that was 30 years ago and just look where they are now. Um, I about 10 years ago I was the project lead for a um, a board competences project, again an industry-wide project, um, which also had a focus on gender. And whilst, um, whilst firms felt a little bit, it was a bit alien to be thinking about developing competencies, particularly in our bit. And that was um, uh, that was actually across the financial services sector. I think some parts of the industry are more used to competency-based assessment but most are not. Um, so the whole concept was a little bit alien but employers genuinely were interested in having a look at what could be done at board level to assess competence uh, and to give some accountability for diversity, gender diversity it was at the time. Um, two years ago I um, hosted our first D&I conference and at the time um, and the whole point was to showcase what firms were doing in the industry uh, across a whole host of different spectrums um, to promote diversity and inclusion within the industry. Um, And I did get some criticism um, from, uh, thankfully, a small minority of employers who said that I was virtue signaling. Um, but they were totally overwhelmed by a whole swathe of response from the majority of firms that said, no, it was absolutely right that we should be looking at diversity and inclusion, that we should be showcasing it, that we should be promoting it, and that we should be, you know, highlighting good practice so that other people, you know, could gain confidence and could, could learn. Um, and then more recently, um, literally in the last couple of months, we have launched our own D&I awards, um, for two reasons. First of all, because we do want to showcase, yeah, genuinely what is happening in our industry. Um, I know that there are some great initiatives, but we kind of seem to kind of you know, hide our light underneath the bushel. Um, so I've really been, I've you know, having conversations with CEOs who say, well, we don't normally go in for these things, and so, but you really should, because this is a great initiative, and you need to, t- you need to shout about it. Uh, so I think we're a little bit reticent as an industry. So we've we've done it, a to show, you know, to. To um, to try and and showcase some good practice, but also again, so that we can pull that together in in a you know a white paper, so that the you know we can then promote that out to, and disseminate that out to the rest of the industry to say, look you know there's a little initiative here, there's a whole blown strategy here, there's there's things that you can do to really turn the dial, um, and the 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 feedback that we've got from that has been tremendous. So, you know, that's, uh, it seems shocking, you know, a 30 year journey, if you like, of different types of, you know, D&I, um, and they are completely different, obviously, but um, it's just really, really interesting. And very, I'm really, you know, grateful to see the, the difference in the way that firms approach D&I now, to when they did um you know when we were first trying to pitch um apprenticeships in in insurance 30 years ago
1: that's really interesting and following up from that point robin as a financial advisor how have your experiences been in the industry and do you think what kind of difficulties do you think people face when trying to progress in the field
4: oh i could fill an entire podcast just with that question if i'm honest <laughs> Um, I mean following on from what Sarah was saying and what it looks like for me it's all about removing barriers but also encouraging growth and I've been in financial services for 15 years but really it is nearly 30 because my dad was a bank manager as was my stepmother so I've been in bank branches since I was about three or four years old so I remember the days of the bank manager in a community was like, ah, um, yeah. they had this amazing status. Um, And I grew up in a household where not only did I have a male bank manager in the family, I had a female one as well, which back then wasn't as common. So for me growing up in financial services, I never thought there wasn't anything I couldn't do. But I'm well aware that coming through it in those years it is if you walk into a bank branch a lot of the frontline staff were mostly female and it was the senior management that were primarily male and as I went through my years in the bank that did start to change and there was more strong female leaders which was fantastic to see um but they're still they're all always needs to be more that there always needs to be because there were still the passing comments over the years well well but what if they go off and have kids what if what if and it's those barriers and thoughts that we need to when I say encourage growth we need to encourage people to just see the person in front of them as they are as a human being not the what-ifs, even though I work in protections and my life's about what-ifs, um, but also to change the habits, because these habits have been formed over decades, and that is a massive thing to try and change, because as Liz was saying, she's been in the industry dealing with this and fighting this and encouraging this for 30 years, and there are ones with the not-so-good habits who have been in it just as long, if not longer. So habit changing I think is got has got to be something that's talked about more, and it just needs to become just part of a day to day conversation rather than something that has to be highlighted. It should just be life yeah absolutely
2: i think I think as well um it's the perception that maybe some young people have. I don't know, Adam and Nada, whether you felt this when you came into the industry, that it was all suits and ties um, and you had to look a certain way and behave a certain way. And for me, you know, that's, yeah, it's a barrier. Um, And when we look at the demographic makeup of the UK right now and the demographic makeup of the UK in 10, 15 years' time, It's not going to be the same. And I think people and the customers we serve expect us to look more like the communities we serve. And that is gay, straight, different ethnicities with with different barriers to um, cognitive impairment. You know, the list is, you know, 20% of the population will have some kind of dyslexic cognitive impairment to some degree or another. So it's it's about making sure that we're far more not suit and tie, but who are you? What do you need from us? And yeah, I get I get what you need because I understand you.
4: I I thought, and I will be completely honest, I thought the exact same thing when I joined the industry. I had to look a certain way, I had to behave a certain way, I must do what they're all doing, because that's the way it's always been done. And as I progressed through my banking career, I'll be honest, it probably wasn't until I had sort of the last manager I had, which is an amazing woman called Helen Derry. And I sort of grew much more into myself in that role. And it was my first experience in insurance and full financial advice. But even still, I was a bit like, right, make sure I get tattoos. I can hide. Like, I can't get, cut my hair into a mohawk while I'm working for a bank. Oh, my God, how would that look? And then when I started my own company, as soon as I'm out and about, I'm like, right, that's it. Mohawk on, everything on show, dress how I want. I live in gym kit now. Do any of my clients care? No, they love it. Um, But it's taken me time to have the confidence to stand up and be counted and be willing to be different. So that, that's just another barrier. And sometimes that's our own. That's our confidence. Whereas I'm happy to stand up now and be like, yeah, I'm not your traditional insurance broker. Like, I do not look or act how people would think they might. But I embrace that now rather than hiding.
0: Yeah, Robin, it's really interesting you say that because for me, that's just entered someone that's just entered the industry. I would still not feel confident to do that. So I wouldn't ever imagine myself saying, yeah, I'll wear what I want to work or I'll act a certain way, I'd still want to try and act a specific way to make sure that I can progress. And even though you're saying that now, I'd still find it difficult to kind of change that for me. So yeah, it's really interesting you said that.
3: I think that's going to change though, Adam, I really do. Um, I mean, you know, COVID has changed an awful lot um I mean I was actually <laughs> uh just as an aside I was I was literally just talking to my husband this morning and say you see that suit there that I've had for 15 years guess what I haven't worn it for the, I'm going to get absolutely Robin I'm going to get rid of it you know is this stuff the you know uh, and I'm going to London for a meeting next week um actually to to see the open work exec actually and I'm thinking uh, I was about to swear then sorry I was thinking what am I going to wear what am I going to wear? Because, you know, um, I live in jeans. It just happens it's roasting hot today. So I'm not in jeans, but ordinarily I am. And I think, I think that we will find that things that, that a COVID has accelerated, but B, things will start to change because the emphasis on firms to really look at their culture, um, and the drive from the people who work within those firms to have the right culture. I think there's going to be a meeting in the middle and you know Sarah mentioned um that the uh the the CP that's just come out from the FCA and the PRA they've had a focus on culture for yeah you know, a long time you know since um Andrew Bailey was uh, was CEO and I can only see that you know um that interest growing from the regulator so the 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 emphasis on culture And developing the right culture so that people feel comfortable to be themselves that is just going to grow so um i i think that firms who don't do that who don't embrace that are going to be the firms that will lose out because you know i'm looking to you know you adam and and nada to say actually what kind of a firm do i want to work for Um, And can I be myself there? You know, what is your dress code? Oh, okay. so you want me to see this particular client in this particular dress. Okay, I kind of get that. But if I'm not seeing clients today, actually, can I just wear my gym kit? Um, I I think there's going to be a compromise along the way, but I I definitely think that's going to move. I think it has to.
4: Absolutely. I mean, I'm the first one to admit that when this pandemic came, I panicked. Because I was initially go, I must go and see all of my clients face to face. I must look them in the eyes. That's the only way to give advice. I was wrong. You know what? I was wrong. I hold my hands up. Video call for me works just as well, if not better. Because they're in their homes. They're comfortable. They don't feel like they have to dress smart and clean the house because someone's coming round. I remember a couple of my Zoom calls very early on in the pandemic and people are like, oh god I'm I'm sorry I'm just sat here in a scruffy hoodie and I was like me too but we we're, we're all good do you think as well so Adam and Nada,
2: I hate I don't want to put you on the spot with this one but I think one of the things like you've said Liz that I think is so important is being open to change as a firm you've got to be open to change so we've recently launched our um hybrid working policy So very much we've said there will be no more presenteeism. So we're not expecting you back nine to five, Monday to Friday. What works for you? So we've just sent out a survey today saying, do you think you'll come in one day a week? Maybe once a month. Um, How do you think your working pattern will work? Not just for us, but for you too. So, you know, if you need to go to the hairdressers on a Thursday afternoon, don't ask us. Make your time up or whatever, but do it in the way that suits you. And I think more firms that get flexible, again, when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, we've got carers. Now, having a hybrid working policy makes it so much easier to be a carer because you haven't got that that nine to five. I've got to be at work. You know, if you've got caring responsibilities, you've got to go to the hospital. You've got to do treatment with somebody. You don't have to explain it. And I think that makes us much more adult. And I think if that's one thing that's come out of COVID that
3: is a positive, it's a different way of working. What I'm hoping, though, Sarah, with that is that, you know, that the the more senior people in the uh, organisation embrace that and kind of lead that, but equally that it's not just the women who take on, you know, that um, and 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 you know, obviously we're talking about broader societal issues here anyway. But, you know, we'll 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 when we get to the point where we have just as much men working part-time as we have women working part-time, I think we'd have made some huge strides. So I'm not putting you on the spot, Adam, but you know, the more the more that you fellas you know, Do your part time and demonstrably say, I need to go early because I need to collect the children or I've got to go and sort out mum and dad or whatever it is. The better that is for everybody. Um, yeah. uh, it It really is.
1: Well, that was a really interesting discussion. And just moving forward, Adam, it will be interesting to hear how important you think diversity and inclusion is to the younger generation. And what kind of things are the younger generation doing to promote diversity and inclusion in the industry?
0: I think for the younger generation, it is really important. And the biggest thing and the differences, I think, with the younger generation is they're not afraid to speak about it. And they're using their voice and they're, they aren't afraid to have difficult conversations with each other. But to be honest with you, I'd say I'm OK with speaking to, let's say, people my age about this. But at work, i would still be slightly afraid to speak about it just because I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to cross the line or, you know, just not maybe have a good image or someone walk away and think, yeah, you know, I don't know why discussing stuff like that at work. It's not a place to talk about those things. Um, but at Open Work, I think the Open Work Partnership, sorry, I think it is really good because we have the Lunch and Learns with um, Sarah where we actually have guest speakers um, speaking about these things. Um, And also we have communications going around where, for example, during Eid. So I'm a Muslim. um, I celebrated Eid. So did Nada. And Sarah reached out to us and said, do you want to write something for the open people that goes out? And we did that. And I just felt really good to know that, you know, Sarah's reaching out to me saying, do you want to include something into a document that's going to be sent out to everyone? Um, So I think doing those type of things at workplaces really is going to help this. And hearing from the younger generation is important. And I know sometimes when you're coming into the financial industry, it is sometimes not easy for younger people to use their voices because obviously they're inexperienced. First of all, it's really difficult to get your foot in the door. And once you do get your foot in the door, you like a massive ladder to work your way up. But I think with conversations with diversity, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. I think everyone has an opinion and it's really important to listen to those.
2: I think it's also important to know that, so that that might be my job title, diversity and inclusion, but it doesn't mean I know everything. And I think what we all need to do is be on a learning journey, but also be open to go like I did with you guys. I don't know enough about Eid to put this in a magazine, so can you help me out? Um, And from that, I learned that you say happy Eid. Didn't know. Didn't know. So um, we all, it's about being open to learn, isn't it?
4: I must admit, I credit financial services for giving me an awakening to diversity because I was very fortunate I worked in a number of branches so I got in touch with a lot of different cultures and communities through that and there were some areas where I worked where rather than try and talk with broken English it was easier to go right let me get you somebody that you can communicate with effectively so that you feel more valued at who you're talking to and because initially, when you're 18 years old and facing these people and trying to talk to them, you don't know that actually it's much easier and they feel much more comfortable doing this. Because again, like Adam was saying, you're afraid to go, what do I do? This isn't what I've been taught. Um, but it did open my eyes so that I do understand things like Eid. It was it was a fantastic time um, working in the communities I did during that. Um. also how it affected different people at different life stages. And it it was an awakening. So I credit financial services for opening my eyes to things like that. But I think exactly what Sarah's just said, we can't know everything about everyone. And also what one person would want to do is not what another person would want to do. Some will openly want to talk about things and some won't. So I think as long as we're talking, we're acting which is the only way it's going to change.
1: On that point, Robin, I think it's really important to have these discussions because you're essentially learning about each other and that's what creates a workplace that's comfortable for everyone, regardless of your gender, your age, your ethnicity or anything else. On that note, that concludes the first half of this podcast. I'd like to thank you very much for listening and we look forward to you joining us on the next half where we continue this conversation on diversity and inclusion in the financial services industry.
0: All views expressed on the Open Book Partnership graduate podcast are personal, and nothing within it should be construed as advice or recommendation.